Podcraft. Welcome, everybody, to the podcast, Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Preble Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family, friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of Increase Your Emotional Intelligence. Yeah, let's get smart. The one smart that I think will benefit your relationships more than anything else. Increasing that EQ, emotional intelligence, which is the ability to understand your emotions and to identify and manage them and react well to the emotions of others. In this episode, I give different examples of how to do that, different aspects of relationships, whether it's in your partnerships, whether it is at work, roommates, and I especially focus on you men, us men out there, because we can make a huge difference in the positivity and the success of a relationship when we understand and increase our emotional intelligence. I also tell some stories when I definitely didn't have emotional intelligence, that I was hijacked. And I'm sure that some of you can relate to that story. And before we get on to that monologue, I do want to mention again my Facebook page, Relationships Let's Talk About It. You're very welcome to get on that page and put out some issues and questions that you may have about relationships that you would like me to address in future podcasts. I would love to hear from you. And if you would like to support this podcast by making a donation, because it does take hours and dollars to get this to you, you can go to my website, heartsharecounseling.com and click on support the podcast and you can give a one-time donation or recurring donation. You can also check out the show notes, which will also have a link to support the podcast. Well, I hope you enjoy this monologue of the episode, Increase Your Emotional Intelligence. Maybe some of you out there are one of the most competent and smartest workers in your office, or maybe you're a great student, or maybe you're just great at Jeopardy or trivia. Maybe one of the forms of intelligence that you're missing out at, the essential intelligence for healthy relationships, emotional intelligence, EQ, EI. I like EQ. So what is emotional intelligence? Well, it's pretty much the ability to understand your emotions, to identify and manage them, and to react well to the emotions of others. So I'm wondering, have you ever felt so overwhelmed by your emotions that you said or did something you quickly came to regret? Yeah, everybody can nod there. Probably the truth is that most of us could probably benefit from learning how to handle our emotions more constructively. With good reason, emotional intelligence is becoming increasingly popular in contemporary psychology. In addition to be linked to greater relationship satisfaction, EQ is associated with better work performance and also to better 
increase ability to manage stress. So I think it's a vital intelligence to have in your life. So from my standpoint, what I learned in life, what I learned in my practice, if you want to develop connections with friends and colleagues or your significant other, cultivating your emotional intelligence should be one of your top priorities. EQ is not only the ability to recognize and regulate your own emotions, but it's also the ability to empathize with others and maintain an awareness of their reactions. Because when you're in a relationship with somebody, it's so important to be able to know also what is going on with their reactions, to have awareness of that. And one of the biggest aspects of that is to have self-awareness. We have to know what we're feeling also, because if we don't know what we're feeling, it's very difficult to understand feelings in others. There's a lot of times that I tell people, you know, in my practice, if I can't understand certain emotions in myself, the hell if I'm going to be able to understand and empathize those emotions in others, right? If I don't understand the depth of my anger or even have a good relationship with my anger, I'm not going to be able to witness somebody else's anger. I'm going to be very uncomfortable with it because I'm not comfortable with my own. If I'm not aware of my sadness and in some sense accepting and comfortable with my own sadness, it's going to be very difficult for me to witness somebody else's sadness and try to understand it. A component of emotional intelligence is to be able to understand and have that self-awareness of our own emotions. You have to have a good emotional vocabulary. I think it's really good to have a vocab an emotional vocabulary list. I have one. I actually have one on my website. It's on the relationship tools and tips. If you can go to my website, Heart Share Counseling, and, and see that. It's a long list of various emotions and feelings. Well, let me get this straight, because a lot of times we interchange feelings and emotions, and I think that's okay. But from my standpoint, a feeling just comes. Anger comes, sadness comes. I'm not in control over it at all. But what I am controlled over is how I emote those feelings, which is the emotion, the behavior of the feeling. So it's okay to interchange feelings and emotions, but that's something to also think about. Having a vocabulary of feelings can be very beneficial to practice and understand feelings. I can go down that list and I can look at a word like despondent. Can I feel despondent? What is despondent? Do I understand it? Do I have a relationship with it? Also, it can widen my vocabulary instead of just saying good and bad and differentiate them more from pleasant feelings and difficult feelings. For instance, some pleasant feelings can be the feeling of being open. Some of those feelings can be confident, amazed, and sympathetic or receptive. Another pleasant feeling is the feeling of being interested. So another feeling of being interested, another vocabulary to that can be fascinated or intrigued or absorbed. So I'm wondering if you can feel all of those words and understand those. Difficult feelings could be like perplexed or stupefied or disillusioned. What I'm saying here, if you've 
widen your vocabulary, you're going to have more access to the depths of pleasant feelings and difficult feelings. So I think it's good to, at times, stop in the middle of the day with perhaps an alarm that goes off and just notice, take a breath, take a pause. And the pause is so important because that's when we understand and that we can feel what we're feeling. So if we're able to take that pause and check in, hmm, what am I feeling right now? You might have to take out that vocabulary list and go down the list. Am I feeling paralyzed? Am I feeling inferior? Am I feeling hesitant? Or of course, on the opposite pleasant feeling, am I feeling pleased? Am I feeling surprised? So I think it's good to go down that list so that you become more competent in your vocabulary to be able to express that to other people and also to be able to observe in others what's going on for them from a broader standpoint of a feeling vocabulary. And that pause is so important. There's a word in the Spanish dialect of Catalan called Corinthia. I hope I'm saying that right. That is interpreted as sacred pause. And it comes from the aspect of a bullfight when the bull is hurt. It's got the spears in it and it's bloodied and that's horrible and all that stuff. But at that point, the bull takes a, a pause, the Corinthia, a sacred pause. It's the time that the matador is most fearful. Why? Because it's gaining its strength in that sacred pause. So I think that a pause can be an important aspect for us to be able to gain our strength back. And one way is to go inside and internalize what aspect am I feeling right now? There's a lot of power in that. When somebody asks me a question and how I'm feeling, if I take a real pause in that moment, I'm going to access a more authentic experience of myself. So I'll be able to communicate that more. Take a breath. I can answer from much deeper self-awareness of what I'm experiencing so that I can communicate that to others. So that's a form of emotional intelligence to actually take the time to have self-awareness. Self-awareness is in a very important aspect of bettering and understanding your emotional intelligence. Another way of saying that is know thyself, right? Isn't that one of the foundational aspects of a spiritual practice and spiritual awareness is to know thyself. So that is the foundation of EQ is self-awareness. It's having a deep understanding of yourself that provides you with more accurate perceptions of how you're coming across to others. To increase your self-awareness, make an effort to reflect on your strengths, your developmental opportunities, your triggers, what values you have in life, so that you are intimately familiar with who you are, what makes you tick, and do this as regularly as you can. As a therapist, that's one of my main goals, to help people really try to understand what makes them tick, to be really curious about who they are, how they function. And knowing yourself and self-awareness is imperative to show up authentically in all of your relationships. Again, identifying your feelings at various points throughout the day 
is a great exercise to have more awareness and understanding your emotional intelligence. You can do this particularly when you are feeling or experiencing strong emotions. For instance, if a coworker or a partner makes a comment that really triggers you, make a mental note of what exactly it is that you might be feeling. And not only will this help you to develop your emotional vocabulary, it will also help you to take a step back from your reactions and engage the parts of your brain associated with problem solving. And that way you can make better sense of your emotions and use them to your advantage and make choices about how to interact with others, how you want to be. Oh, and by the way, you really want to observe your thoughts and your feelings without judgment so that you can increase your awareness of them with more clarity rather than having them being, let's say, blurred by your own assumptions and that self-judgment. You want to be more curious and have a more interested attitude about your feelings and observing your feelings and your thoughts than judgmental. Another really good thing to do is question your stories and your opinions, even if you believe them. You want to recognize that there's multiple ways of looking at any given situation. So instead of having knee-jerk negative reactions when you become upset, let's say by somebody else's actions, you want to slow down and consider if there's other ways of explaining the situation. A story comes to mind that I believe I said in another podcast, but I believe that it needs to be said again, especially when it comes to this. Some years ago, I was going to take a shower and my wife and son took a shower before me. And when I went to take a shower, I turned on the hot water faucet and it was cold water. And I kind of had this reaction of like, oh shit, man, there's no more hot water. They took long showers and they didn't even consider that I was going to take a shower afterwards. I went ahead and went downstairs to the hot water tank to see if the propane came on and, and it did. And I came back upstairs, turned on the hot water faucet and it was cold water. So I told my wife, look, I'm going to go down again and see if I can fix it. Just turn the hot water on. And she did it, turned it on. It worked perfectly fine down there. When I came back up, I turned it on, cold water. And I was having all these reactions. And then finally I went to do it again and I did a little slower. And I watched what I did. And I was all along turning on the cold water faucet. Every time, turning on a cold water faucet. And I was so sure that I was turning on the hot water. And of course I yelled out, Hey babe, I, I got it, honey. I fixed it. And she was just kind of like, what the hell was going on? And of course, in that moment, I was too embarrassed to really say, but I fessed up and we kind of laughed. But from then on, I really was looking at my own questioning and my opinions about being so right and questioning my story. I mean, really folks, I was just huffing and puffing and stomping all around and exerting and spewing blame all over the place. I can't believe you didn't consider me. I was so attached to my reality and being right. Yep, that was me. I lost my shit. I really did. It was embarrassing. Deeply embarrassing. Well, should I say, in reflection, 
I felt deeply embarrassed of my behavior. So I fess up to that one. I was emotionally hijacked, big time. So at that moment, I had no emotional intelligence going on. I didn't self-regulate at that moment, which I believe self-regulation is probably the most important thing in the world that we can do is self-regulate. Just think of all of the people that get triggered, emotional, and angry. There's violence and people get killed and wars start. We also have a president that's very emotionally reactive, doesn't self-regulate well, right? We need to do more of that to make a better world. So I think it's one of the most important things that we can do to self-regulate. Increasing our capacity to self-regulate is one of the best things that you can do in your relationships when it comes to emotional reactions. So again, in order to do that, you have to be aware of what it is that you're feeling. Self-regulating is another aspect of self-soothing. Taking deep breaths, feeling what's going on in your body because the emotions are in the body. They're not floating out there. They're in the body. So an emotionally intelligent person also understands what's going on in their body, not just in their thought process, but where's tension? Where is an uneasy feeling? Where are we feeling perhaps nervous in our stomach or other aspects of tension in our body? So when we become aware of our body, that's another dimension of having a high EQ. A wonderful benefit of having a high emotional intelligence is that it helps you accept criticism. If you're emotionally intelligent or are working on honing these skills, it's easy to accept or easier to accept constructive feedback from, let's say, your partner and then make the appropriate changes without getting defensive or taking things personally. This is a big one that I like to get into because I see this so much in my practice. Of course, around people having a challenging time taking constructive criticism because a lot of times it's outright just criticism. Criticism is usually, I need to tell you what you're doing wrong because you're not recognizing it in order for you to change your behavior. Many times through criticism, people disown that responsibility. They don't take responsibility because criticism is usually a blaming threat to a person. There's different ways to give constructive feedback that will influence your partner. John Gottman, who I've mentioned here before, a relationship researcher and author, he talks about a term that's called accepting your partner's influence. And what does that mean? For our purposes, for my purposes here, it means accepting, understanding, and allowing your partner's perspective, feelings, and needs into your decision-making process as a couple. It means really listening to your partner and forming compromises so that you both feel satisfied. This might be a challenge for a lot of you men out here, but when men learn how to accept their partner's influence and work towards a win-win solution, the outcomes are wonderful in heterosexual marriages and relationships. In long-term studies of Newlywed couples, they discovered that men who allow their wives to influence them have actually happier marriages and are less likely to divorce. So men, I want to be clear, this is not about being a doormat. 
This is not the yes, dear syndrome. Whatever you say, honey. It's not about you feeling something and not really speaking to, but you just don't want to rock the boat. You want to keep the peace. It's not about being a doormat. Again, it's more about when conflict occurs, the key is to listen to your partner's points of view, opinions, their feelings, let them know you understand them and to ask them what they need and to be willing to come together and compromise. That's what it means to accept influence. It's also a critical skill, not just limited to, let's say, heterosexual couples. In fact, research shows that same-sex couples are notably better at it than straight couples. So straight husbands can learn a lot from gay husbands. So my practice, I see this a lot. I see this more in men than I do women. Sure, there are exceptions, and it goes the other way. But clearly, counteracting during an argument does not solve an issue or help to form a compromise. It does not allow your partner's influence in the decision-making process. Again, in that research that John Gottman has done, it shows that 65% of men increase negativity during an argument. And that includes what he calls the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is a biblical reference to the end of times. So the analogy here means if you have the following behaviors to a certain degree can be the demise or death to your relationships. And they are criticism, defensiveness, contempt, stonewalling. All of those are telltale signs that a man is resisting his wife's influence. And of course, when I say wife, I mean also partner. When I say marriage, I mean committed relationship. Again, this is not to insult men or belittle men, right? I'm a man, I know it. (laughs) Usually it's not a personality fault or a cognitive shortcoming. Rather, it is to enlighten men to some instincts and tendencies that they might have, but which they aren't aware of. There's just simply some differences in how men and women experience conflict. For example, Men are way more prone to stonewall, right? Stonewall is just clam up, not say anything, not even look their partner's way. 85% of stonewallers in the research were men. This does not mean that women don't get angry and they don't get contemptuous of their husbands and their partners. It's just means that they tend to let their male partners influence their decision-making by taking their opinions and feelings into account. So when you have a higher emotional intelligence, you will do more of that. Here's one for you men, because the solution, again, I believe, is emotional intelligence. And in John Gottman's book, The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work, he claims the emotionally intelligent husband is the next step in social evolution. How do you like that? So my experience in working with couples, when there's an emotionally intelligent man and he has that focus and influence, the repair and the betterment of the relationship has a higher success rate than a man that does not. And of course, there are women that really need to work on their emotional intelligence. But in my experience, most women, most, are interested in a man's emotional world and takes influence on when he's sharing his emotion.
Now, there are differences between men and women, and I'm not going to get all caught up in the men are from Mars and women are from Venus stuff because we're all here on Earth. But some of these differences can start in childhood. For instance, of course, there's the nature and nurture debate. But for example purposes, for instance, when boys play games, their focus is on winning and competition. More boys are more drawn to video games that the focus is on eliminating each other to kill the opponent. Or when a boy gets hurt, let's say falling off a skateboard, other boys are more inclined to laugh or to brush it off. And this is probably because it's difficult for them to feel what they really are experiencing, therefore difficult then to express it. Girls, on the other hand, tend to play in smaller groups than boys, like two or four. They often engage in more intimate conversations. Their play often centers around building and discussing relationships. Traditional childhood female games such as jump rope and hopscotch, it emphasizes group support. You know, everyone gets a turn. And again, there is definitely the nature and nurture debate. Girls at a younger age are more encouraged to develop more nurturing and emotional connections than boys. That's just typical. So these examples are, of course, very general examples, and there are, there are many exceptions to this rule. But to sum it up, because of this conditioning, girls are usually better at relationships and communication and fostering connection. So developing emotional intelligence, I believe, is the very first step to relationship success. The man in the relationship who lacks emotional intelligence, he usually rejects his partner's influence because he typically fears loss of power. And because he is unwilling to accept influence, he will not be influential. And that dynamic usually will result in gridlock. So men, I highly encourage you, to really practice and put an effort and put a priority into the aspect of emotional intelligence because you can have a great positive influence in your relationship. Again, studies show that when men do that, they have more of an influence of bettering their, their relationships than when women do. And I see that the studies are right because I see that in my practice. And men, I'm not asking you to be a woman. Not at all. I am just asking you to learn how to better connect with your partner by listening and by validating experience, by understanding needs and expressing empathy, and you can do it in your own way. Here's an easy tip. When your partner needs to talk about something, if you're emotionally intelligent, you will set aside what you're doing at the moment and you will talk with her. You will pick we over me, which shows solidarity with your partner. And it also helps her feel that you're reliable. And that's a big aspect for women, reliability to create trust and safety. You will, at that time, understand your partner's inner world. And you will communicate this respect by turning towards her. That's a big one. So that's a big aspect of emotional intelligence is being able to turn towards and attune towards your partner. Your relationship, your sex life, and your overall happiness will be far greater than the man who lacks emotional intelligence. 
be the guy. Be the guy with a high EQ. So here's one for you women out there. See the good in the other person. It's pretty easy to start taking someone for granted, especially after you've been together for a long time. But if you're particularly emotional intelligent, however, it's easier to recognize when you're not appreciating your partner as much as you should, and then correct your behavior to remedy this. High EQ helps you to recognize when your partner has, let's say, unintentionally acted in error or take it for granted instead of assuming that they're doing things in a certain way to upset you. I believe that has a more tendency in women than in men. I think that men would love their women partners to give them more benefit of the doubt in ambiguous interactions. For example, maybe you ask your man to go get, let's say, your favorite kind of snack or tea at the grocery store, and maybe he comes back with a different kind of tea or snack. And it may be easy to assume that he just didn't care enough to get the right thing and then tell him how hurt you are and your feelings that maybe you'll get into an argument about it. So being able to give your spouse the benefit of the doubt may lead you to think that maybe the store was out of your favorite kind of snack or tea and he did his best to get what he thought that you would like. Women giving benefit of the doubt is a big complaint that I hear about men. When you increase your emotional intelligence, giving benefit of the doubt to your man can really benefit your relationship positively. So while even the healthiest relationships, and they have their ups and downs, there's one factor that I believe all long-term relationships have in common. People stay committed to them. And if you're emotionally intelligent, understanding how devastating, let's say, the loss of fidelity or partnership would be to your significant other can help you stay emotionally invested in the long run. When I'm working with couples that have infidelity, I see that one factor that is lacking is the emotional intelligence for that partner that committed the fidelity to really understand how devastating the loss of that trust would be to their partnership. They're more focused on themselves than they are on the relationship. So at that time, they're letting their EQ just go down the toilet. Overall, emotional intelligence, it can be important to, let's say, for roommates. You know, when roommates find themselves at odds, uh, when, let's say, they assume the people they live with will anticipate their needs, emotional intelligence can make you a far more better communicator. That's making it easier to exert your needs, making your needs met and known and to then get them. Having a high EQ helps you to ask for what you want and have a higher likelihood to have success. Recently, my son who lives with his girlfriend and his first cousin in Netherlands in an apartment, they had some challenges and some differences in their lifestyle and living style. One of the things that when they did have a meeting to reconcile some of these differences, they really focused on the emotional aspect and try to really understand what was going on for the other person what the other person's needs are, and at the same time exerting their needs. I was so proud of them 
that they had this meeting this way. So they understood each other from an emotional level. They got closer and they pretty much worked out their differences. Better communication in all aspects of your relationships. And of course, that very much overlaps into the work environment. You know, in the in the work environment, we use these positive traits of telling that this person at work has a wonderful character. They have a great personality. You know, we also dub soft skills or they're very competent. And there is a, at last a more precise understanding of these human talents and the new name for them, emotional intelligence. There is a wonderful book out. Of course, people may know of this Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. He really talks a lot about using emotional intelligence in the workplace. I know for me, when I was a corporate executive, using my emotional intelligence was so important to my success. There was a time when I had, I was a project manager and I had a $50 million account. Actually, it went from $2 million to almost $50 million, I'd say overnight, within a week. So as a project manager, I really relied on my people's talent, but I did that through my own emotional intelligence. I would go at two o'clock in the morning to the assembly line where they were making the computer circuit boards, and I would mingle with the people online. I would bring pizzas at two o'clock in the morning and really try to understand what was going on for the people, their challenges, what they needed, and they can directly talk to me and I was empathizing with them. And when I did more of that, our profit levels just skyrocketed. To me, I used my personal skills, my emotional intelligence skills, not so much my black and white business skills. I think that's what made me a good business leader, especially in the focus of appreciations, really recognizing, understanding what people brought to the the business and the project and focusing on that with them and expressing that to them and feeding their personhood, their self-worth, their self-confidence, helping with the problem solving, not just from a business standpoint, but from an emotional standpoint, validating and acknowledging somebody's experience so that they can move through it. So you business leaders, I know you know this, high emotional EQ is an imperative component to having good leadership skills. And you parents out there, that's a tremendous focus to have for your kids, is helping them with their emotional intelligence. I hear so many parents talk about, oh, my child is so bright and they're so smart and brilliant and they have so much knowledge and they talk about their grades. Very seldom do I hear parents talk about their their children's emotional intelligence, their ability to self-regulate, the human aspects of who they are. Are they kind? Are they respectful? Are they thoughtful? And I think I mentioned that before with, that's the focus that I have with my son. A test result doesn't define who he is. A grade doesn't define who he is. Is he a kind person? How he walks in the world and interacts with other people. That's actually what I'm most proud of him for is who he is as a person, and that comes from his aspect of his emotional intelligence. 
that's my advice to parents is to really, of course, know your own emotional intelligence and your own emotional world to really help navigate your child. Because all those parents out there that also talk about their children being bright and a wonderful student, but when there's emotional dysregulation, boy, does it wreak habit. That's when they're most challenged. That's when the family world gets turned upside down in chaos. So that's the greatest modeling that you can do is to understand your own emotional world and your EQ in order to model that for your children. So I think I covered all aspects of different relationships of how important I think emotional intelligence is in all aspects of your life. And again, just like self-regulation, that it is part of emotional intelligence, I think that is the most important thing as human beings that we can do is to really understand that part of our lives. And I also believe that emotional intelligence makes it easier to find contentment, even if you're alone and not in relationship. Because what is the most important relationship that we have? Our relationship with ourselves. So I highly encourage you to really be mindful and to be curious and interested and practice aspects of understanding your emotional intelligence. That's when you know you're smart and it will allow you to make yourselves a beautiful day. Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on licensed professional counselor Prepo Teplitsky, visit HeartShareCounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk at AdiTheMonk.com. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by PodCraft. Create your own great podcast today, faster and easier at podcraft.us.